Good morning. The reading today is from Hebrews 10, verses 19 to 39. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment, and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine. I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those so treated For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For... Yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. That's the word of the Lord. Thank you, Pat, and uh, thank you to Rog and to Mary and to our musicians uh, for leading us. Let's be quiet for a moment, and I'll lead us um, in prayer. Our loving Father in heaven, thank you for your word, the Bible. Thank you that it is your full and sufficient revelation for us. Thank you that it is everything we need for the Christian life. Thank you for everything it says about our Lord Jesus. Wonderful truths that we are discovering or being reminded of as we study together the letter to the Hebrews. 
The Bible text before us today is solemn indeed. Please help us understand it correctly. Please help me explain it clearly. Please help us believe and experience why this passage is in Hebrews to strengthen our assurance as Christians and not cause us to fear or to doubt. For we have need of endurance, either right now or we will have need of endurance in the future. So please will you answer that prayer by feeding our souls so that we might have strength to endure. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, inside the service sheet, there are some notes just to put this passage in context. Most importantly, if you can have your Bible open or uh, on your phone. Our focus today is Hebrews ten twenty six to 39, the second two-thirds of the reading that Pat read. It is, by some way, the most solemn section in the letter. It is, perhaps the most solemn passage in the New Testament. And we need to listen to sections in God's Word like this. One of the great benefits of working systematically through Bible books is that we do not miss them out. I listened this week to an experienced older minister preaching on this passage. He expressed his fear of preaching on these verses over the years lest a keen Christian of tender conscience was caused to question or doubt their assurance of salvation. Now I shared his fear. But then, and I found this really comforting, he said that in his experience, and he has many, many years of experience, every single time he has preached on these verses or their like, the result is that Christians are strengthened in their faith. And keen living Christians, after the first service, proved this to be true. As I have proved it to be true in my own life this week as a Christian. A passage like this causes us to say with conviction, by God's grace, I will never ever throw away my confidence in Jesus. By God's grace, I will never shrink back. By God's grace, I will never turn away. By God's grace, I will live for his glory. That has been my experience this week. And I would not say that to you were it not true. I would not say it to you to cover over a difficult passage of Scripture. This most solemn of sections in the letter in the New Testament strengthens living faith, reassures, inspires. Now the reason we preach systematically through Bible books as our staple diet and the reason our small groups study systematically through Bible books by and large is because God has chosen to speak to us in that way. God's revelation is given to us in Bible books. That is how God has chosen to breathe out or inspire his word. 
And therefore, each Bible passage or section should not be taken out of its context. It is only in its context that a Bible passage is properly understood. Or think of it like this, a picture inside a frame. The frame sets off the picture. The frame displays the picture. Now that is always the case, but this particular passage illustrates the point powerfully. Taken out of the context of Hebrews, these verses could lead us to endless speculation or discussion, or worse, they could cause real damage. So, we study them in context. Now, as Christians, we have need of endurance, or we will have need of endurance at some stage or many stages in our Christian life. That is the reason this letter was written. Now, a key verse in our passage is verse 36. I've set it out there on the notes. It's a key verse. Let me just read it again. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Written originally to Hebrew Christians, this letter, or Jewish converts, Jews who had become Christians. And Hebrews is one, if not the earliest letter in the New Testament, written well before, for example, AD 70, when the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. Now, what does that mean? It means that these Jewish Christians were sort of apart from, different from, outside of the camp of almost everybody else. The whole elaborate sacrificial system in the temple was continuing as before, and these Jewish Christians were trusting in the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus and Jesus as their high priest. And life for them was really tough. Now consider their struggle. First, their struggle with uh, suffering as a direct result of their faith in Jesus. So read with me chapter 10, verses 32 to 34. Uh, But recall the former days, remember this is written to these uh, Hebrew Christians, when after you were enlightened, when you came to faith, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. They were being uh, opposed themselves, publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and associated with others who received the same treatment. You had compassion on those in prison. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Now, when you read that, it's really important that we don't just say, well, the writer is causing them to look back when they endured. The word struggle is right there in the text. Just, it, it's a real struggle. It's a real struggle. 
to be exposed to public reproach and affliction. It is a real struggle to be tarnished with a brush. It is a real struggle when stuff is happening in your life and to hold on to the fact that you have a better possession even though you cannot see it, feel it, touch it because it's in glory. Second, and related to this, their struggle with the shame of being different and excluded. Now this is the lot of those who follow Jesus as real Christians. Let me read from later in the letter. This is Hebrews 13, 12 to 14. You don't need to look it up. I'll just read it. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach or the shame that he endured. To be an outsider. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. The struggle with suffering because of their faith, the struggle with shame, and the struggle with sin. Sin, Hebrews 12 and verse 1, sin which clings so closely. It's a brilliant description of the battle with sin. And a Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4, in your struggle against sin. Now, the ongoing battle with sin and temptation in the Christian life. And in light of that, it was hard in particular for these Jewish Christians to believe. Just think about it. You'd spent all your life going through some kind of religious system, and it was still going on. And hard for these Jewish Christians to believe that Jesus was the only priest they needed and that his sacrifice for sin was once and for all. These Hebrew Christians had need of endurance because living as real Christians in their context was hard. Now, I keep using the phrase real Christians. A real Christian is someone who has personal living faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. A real Christian is someone whose conscience has been made alive. A real Christian is someone who prays, who listens to God's word, who is encouraged and encourages, who spurs on and is spurred on, who sings, not all the time, fitfully perhaps, who sings from the heart. A real Christian is someone whose hope is in glory and not in this world. A real Christian living in this world is hard. And so it is for all real Christians, including us. The pull for us is not to go back to Judaism. The pull for someone here or listening might be to go back to religion, something comforting in religion or ritual. The pull for us is the 
world. We struggle with suffering because of our faith. Now, not to the degree and intensity as these original recipients of the letter did. And not like our brothers and sisters in Christ in parts of the world where the true church and Christians are persecuted. Places like Sudan and Indonesia and China. But in the West, we are beginning to experience suffering that is a direct result of our faith. For example, and I'm just quoting from the passage, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach. Now increasingly, the experience of anyone in public life who is a clear Christian is sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach or as a school teacher who is a clear Christian. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach. Moreover, we struggle, or at least I do, with the shame of being different and excluded. And it cuts out just in our social lives. I've never found it easy to be bold, to be confident, when it becomes clear to people that I'm a Christian. Bible-believing Christians are a tiny minority, caricatured as fundamentalists or hardliners or we-freeze or out-of-date, out-of-touch particularly over sensitive issues like morality. Out of step with the culture more and more. Real Christians are in disgrace from the world. We feel it, we feel the shame of being different and excluded. A 15-year-old Christian at high school. A Christian student with his football mates. A trainee lawyer trying to live openly as a Christian. A single man or woman seeking to live a celibate life. A Christian doctor in a GP practice. A Christian family treated differently in their cul-de-sac simply because they are Christians. And perhaps hardest of all for many Christians, standing out or being different in their own family. On Thursday this past week, I was uh, doing some lunch bars in Glasgow University, and two Indian women studying at Glasgow University came to speak to me in the gap between the two lunch bars. And one of them told me that as a 15-year-old girl in India, she was converted to Christ, along with her mum. That same period in her life, her father and the rest of her family left them. And they have never seen them again.
Many of us struggle to different degrees with the shame of being different and excluded. Real Christians held in disgrace by the world and increasingly in the professing churches. Let me read to you from a letter I received from a senior clergyman in the Church of England this week. He writes, The Church of England continues to trouble us, as we know it troubles many of you. It is hard to come to terms with the fact that the serving bishops have almost unanimously proposed a course of action which amounts to blatant false teaching. Our brothers and sisters in other places, notably Scotland and Canada, have already been through similar difficulties. A friend in Scotland commented that, quote, it was very painful and extremely distracting, exhausting and dispiriting. Went on to say that when their churches left the Church of Scotland, congregations got over it almost instantly, leaders took longer to recover, and ministers the longest, and many never did. And while I, the writer of the prayer letter, have had sleepless nights and am still feeling confused and conflicted as to how to respond personally, the struggles are harder by far for serving church ministers. Please pray for them especially as they seek to lead their churches with courage and faithfulness. When you are forced in public life or in private life or in church life to stand up for Jesus Christ and his gospel, shame is one's emotional response. Not because you are ashamed of Jesus, but just because you stand out and are different. And the struggle with sin, the constant battle with sin as Christians, we are to live under the lordship of Christ, not as we would like. That's hard. And the whole orientation of our life is different. We are to worship God, not the idols of this world. We know that we will take nothing with us to eternity. And so we are to let go of all material things in this world and aspirations. And that is not easy. We are to live for eternity that we cannot see, cannot feel, cannot touch. We are not to live for the here and now like everyone else. It is a constant battle with sin as Christians. We have need of endurance because living as a real Christian is hard. Now, I don't know how the cough cuts for you in terms of where you are in your Christian life right now. There will be people here and there will be people listening. I'm looking at you on the camera and you are in real need of endurance right now. And God in heaven is intersecting his word right into your life. If not right now, then you will be in need of endurance in your life as a Christian. If you are older on the last lap, 
What gets you around the last lap is endurance. Finishing well. If you are younger, for the next lap and the next lap and the next lap, maybe you are holding on with your fingertips. Or maybe you're not yet a convinced Christian. And you're living your life at the moment and there is a set of scales and you are weighing up, should I follow Jesus? Should I not? Should I live for the unseen eternity or should I live for the here and now? And don't put the decision off for procrastination will steal time away from you How will we endure? How will we endure in our lives individually? How will we endure as churches? How will we endure as real, orthodox, Bible-believing Christians in the next 10, 20, 30, or 40 years in the West? And you can see on the right hand of the service sheet the answer from this letter. Number one answer is through mature faith in Jesus. I can encourage you to do anything, is to go back and listen to the talks, the sermons on Hebrews. Immerse yourself in what it means to have Jesus as your high priest. Immerse yourself in what the blood of the new covenant is. Immerse yourself in how he intercedes for you, how he strengthens you. Immerse yourself in the picture of yourself coming into the very presence of the majesty of God in heaven with Jesus Christ there beside you. Mature faith in Jesus. Do not survive on milk. Now you may not know, and I'm going to tell you now, that we are getting a new puppy. She's called Mabel. She's beautiful. She had her first solids this week. Why am I telling you that? In the middle of Hebrews. Do you know, as Christians, we can feed on scraps and drink milk all our lives. but we need solid food to endure. How will we endure through mature faith in Jesus? And then last week, uh, we looked at verses 22 to 25. Because of who Jesus is, because of faith, therefore, the imperative by drawing near, holding fast, stirring up and encouraging one another. Let me just read some of these verses. You can glance down. Verse 22, let us draw near to God in prayer, around the Lord's table, as we listen to God's word, anywhere, anytime. Let us draw near to God with a true heart and full assurance of faith, full assurance, not as 100%, because our hearts are sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Draw near to God, come into the very presence of God in heaven through Jesus Christ with full assurance, Let us hold fast the confession, verse 23, of our hope without wavering. And then verses 24 and 25, 
And this goes on in church life all of the time, and it needs to let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Who are you going to stir up this week? Who are you going to encourage this week and allow them to stir you up in your hearts and encourage you? How will we endure? How will we endure against the opposition, against the reproach, against the public humiliation? How will we endure when we feel that shame of identifying as Bible-believing Christians? How will we endure and not throw in the towel and just join in with an assimilation to the culture like so many other people and if truth be told, what we in our hearts want to do. What Christian, what Christian in truth wants to be cast as a fundamentalist? Who wants that? Through mature faith in Jesus, by drawing near, holding fast, stirring up and encouraging one another. And then in our passage... Again, as a result of faith in Jesus, therefore by not throwing away our confidence in Jesus, which has a great reward. Now, that heading is taken straight from verse uh, 35. Just look at that in the text. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. How will you endure? through mature faith in Jesus and the three positive exhortations, let us draw near, let us hold fast, let us stir up and encourage one another. And now this, don't throw it away for anything. Don't throw away your confidence in Jesus. Nothing is worth that. And what the author to the Hebrews does is he makes us look over the parapet and remember what we have been saved from. And remember what we have been saved for. And when we contemplate these things, then nothing, nothing, nothing will cause us to throw away our faith in Jesus. That's what this is saying. Now let's think for a moment about what we have been saved from. A senior member of the royal family who is no longer with us, I'll leave you to guess who that might be, said this to an archbishop after one of these great, magnificent services that we Brits do so well in cathedrals. They are magnificent. She said, Sir, is hell real? The answer, Jesus taught so. Scriptures record so. The Church of England articles say so. And then her answer, her response, then why in the name of God Will you not tell us so? 
Now look in our text. What have we been saved from? Verse 27, fearful expectation of judgment. Fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. And verse 31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It is a terrible eternity to live in eternal hell under the judgment of God. Is hell real? Jesus taught so again and again and again. Scriptures record so. The Church of England articles and the Church of Scotland confessions say so. Then why in the name of God will you not tell us so? Realizing what we have been saved from gives us real strength never to let go of Christ. And then as we think what we have been saved for, read again with me verses 35 and 36. Therefore do not throw away your confidence, which is a great reward, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. What we have been saved from is eternal hell and judgment. What we have been saved for is eternal life in the new creation. Reward, glory, with Christ. And notice what the writer to the Hebrews is doing. He's getting them and he's getting us to think not in terms of this world and in temporal categories, but in terms of eternity, eternal categories. Think not of how many years you have left on this earth. Think of eternity, eternity that is before you in heaven or in hell. And as you think, as a Christian, as a keen Christian, that God in his grace has saved you from eternal hell and saved you for eternal heaven. You will never shrink back. You will never turn away. And thirdly, as we recall that we have endured a hard struggle before, verse 32, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering. This is where uh, those who are older have the benefit of looking back and seeing how God has enabled them to endure and keep going in the Christian life. As we look at them, and some are here today, it is inspiring for those who are younger to see faith lived out over many, many years. Now, Put your pens down and listen very, very carefully. Read with me verse 39. 
How do we endure through faith in Jesus, mature faith, by drawing near, by holding fast, by stirring up and encouraging one another, by not throwing away our confidence in Jesus for anything as we think, as we contemplate what we have been saved from, as we think and contemplate what we have been saved for, as we look back to how God in his grace has enabled us to endure. And so we will never, never shrink back. Now, I'm preaching that and trusting that the Holy Spirit is assuring you that you echo with my description of my life, that you are a Christian, that I am a Christian, that I know and love the Lord Jesus, that yes, I am in need of endurance, the battle with suffering and shame and sin and being different, but because of you, because of my other Christian friends, most of all because of Jesus as I consider him. And as I look over the parapet to what eternity in hell would be like, and as I gaze to the future and what eternity in heaven will be like, I am not, and you are not, of those who shrink back and are destroyed. Rather, I and you are of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now, I put it the other way around in the notes. We are of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Think back to that uh, experienced preacher I referred to earlier. Oh, when a preacher comes to preach a passage like this, they worry about the tender consciences of Christians. That's why these passages need to be preached in churches where people know and love each other and where they know where the sensitive souls are. And then as we gather around the Lord's table, as we will do in a moment, at the end of the first service, take this passage out of context and scores of people would not come to the Lord's table. But put this passage in its context and people will come and you will come to the Lord's table with more, not less assurance. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. So question, who are these people? Do they exist? Is this just a hypothetical category? No, it's not. Who are these people? They are, well, think of it back in the first century, these Jewish Christians. They are people who went along with the Christians, who professed faith, who said they were Christians. People who go to churches, who are members. Some ministers. People in public life who say they are Christians. But they're not. Because they go on sinning. Oh, but you say I do. And if you knew me, you know I do. 
I think it would be great on a Sunday if we all came up here and we just said what battles we fought that week. But you know what we'd be talking about? We'd be talking about battles fought. Not indifference. And it might be that this passage here is a solemn warning for someone here or someone listening. You look like a Christian, but you're not, and you know you're not. You see, a a real Christian knows they are a Christian. I'm 100% sure I am a Christian. And that's not boasting, it's not arrogance. It's because the word of God in Hebrews resonates with my soul. If you are a Christian, you know you are a Christian. If you are not a Christian, you know you are not a Christian because this does not describe your life. 